0: She got a great ass! And you got your head all the way up it!
1: It's episode 35 of Hard Meant to Please, the podcast that gets deep in the guts of a movie from script to screen. I'm Jared. With me are Ethan and Frankie. And today we're talking about heat.
2: I say what I mean and I do what I say. Hey,
1: So, are you boys excited about this one? Yes. Are you excited
0: about Heat? Oh, yeah. I heard good yeah. things.
1: Yeah. I know good I'm things. Pretend I'm watching Heat right now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, Strap in. It's going to be heat. a little bit of a little bit of a long ride. Well,
2: yeah. That's it's what, what I want. Long and
1: bumpy. Yep. Yeah. That's what all the ladies want Ooh. when it's long and bumpy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, Heat is the movie that Michael Mann still, and for the rest of his life, is going to be credited as director of heat before you mention his name yeah and before i saw this movie i kind of never quite got why i was like all right well must have been a pretty good film and uh it fucking is <laughs>
2: what a surprise
1: it was both <laughs> written and directed uh by michael mann uh which he's done uh collateral as frankie's a big fan of mm-hmm. uh public yes. enemies mm-hmm. have either of you guys seen that one yeah nope uh, john dillinger and uh Some FBI agent. It was was one of those movies uh,
0: that that Johnny Depp made. Well, not like there's only a few, but made much worse by being in. But he was still (laughs) kind of in that uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. This guy is box office gold phase. So you know they threw him in there, and it was kind of like, "Hmm,
1: you thought he was no good in that. I don't remember. Um, I just
0: I just felt like there was kind of a, a bum rush on the. 40s and 50s gangster stuff at that time and mm. that one seemed like the least effective of all those yeah what i was up think with that?
1: um and i we don't have to go too deep on johnny depp since he's not in this movie but um <laughs> johnny i thought he does lend a bit of the air that um brad pitt gives to uh when he played jesse james which is, is oh. a larger than life guy and johnny mm-hmm. depp is john dillinger is like all right there's a larger than life guy commanding the room that he's in but uh you know, we're not we're not here for Johnny Depp, obviously. Oh no.
2: Never.
0: Not when we've got Pacino and De Niro in the same movie.
2: And Val Kilmer. Well, did
0: you see <laughs> And th- and this is peak Val yeah. Kilmer, by the way. This is like the best Val Kilmer.
1: Yeah, is this the is this Val Kilmer's best best role?
0: I would say this and his uh role in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang are his one A, one B.
2: Uh, right. tombstone. Anyone? Hello.
0: Come tombstone, on, yeah. Come I on. will that's be so here, Huckleberry, for saying <laughs>
2: that. But that's it.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, but uh, but wait, pulling it back a second for Michael Mann. Now, now you're a fan of his, right, Frankie? That's why you're on this podcast.
0: Yes, I mean, well, uh, well, I thought it was because you guys like me. Well, you can have two reasons for something. Oh, okay, good. Whew. I was worried that there was only one reason that I could be on the podcast. Yes, I am a Michael Mann fan. So, ask- so what it what what about
1: him do you like? What does he bring to the film?
0: Well, there's there's definitely interplay between characters. Uh, I think that he um, is one of a few directors that does conversation really well, and not only like you know in the scripting aspect of it for like in this one where he write it wrote and directed but Mm -hmm. just his ability to allow characters that are intriguing just from their backstory and the kind of getting to know them through the beginning of a film but actually allows them to kind of spread their wings a little bit kind of develop their character as the movie goes on through conversation as opposed to just by what they do and i think that heat is actually probably one of the best examples of that um uh, he, he he directed the last of the mohicans um oh yeah and that was actually something that was really similar especially considering the subject matter in it and um i think he the only thing that he can i think he does a really good balance of being an action film with the ability to have the characters kind of flesh themselves out and when he strays to one side or the other or where his movies become a little bit less successful. Like he did, uh, for some reason that Miami vice remake or like, right, movie, yeah. and that one was just like, just trying to be the bad boys movie. But the bad boys movie was, uh, self-aware in Miami, Miami vice never was. And that's why it didn't really kind of take off. The
1: superior
0: Michael, uh, out of the <laughs> directors, yes, Michael yes. Bay man over Bay. Um, and he also did Hancock. You guys remember that one? I remember, I remember avoiding it. it. <laughs> as, an, as, an, as a film event. I, yeah, similar. <laughs> it, it was a type of movie that didn't interest me at all. Mm-hmm. I ended up watching it. I realized that it was almost a good movie, but then ended up screwing itself over. Because of kind of sticking to the ideas that were presented through its marketing material and everything. Where it's just kind of drunk, superhero, bum type guy who's an asshole, blah, blah, blah and then you know some people are not a fan of Will Smith on this podcast so I won't name any names and yeah, you better not <laughs> yeah Jared um, that would probably peak Will Smith
1: a uh, distaste for me
0: and right rightfully so I, think, yeah, I can't most people. argue with that at all um, <laughs> but there's actually I got my finger decent, on the pulse <laughs> a decent idea in that movie that just kind of ends up being flat like it ends up yeah. just kind of not working Um, so it's kind of, it's a little bit, you know, hit and miss when it comes to stuff like that. But I I think overall he's, he's a really good director and I think heat is kind of where he strikes the balance between what it is that he does well perfectly.
2: Yeah. It all, it all just comes together. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: And like you said, for, uh, for both the writing and directing side for being, um, you know, so good at, uh, a dialogue this movie is probably most famous for one scene of dialogue yes. between, mm-hmm. you know, two of the greatest actors of, uh, of their generation. So, uh, that'll bring us to the cast. And this cast is like, you'd Spank. kill for this cast. Oh yeah. So you've got Al Pacino in the lead, Robert De Niro in the co-lead. I see uh, that's out, yeah. right? Yeah. So Pacino's the cop. Uh, De Niro's the main criminal. Uh, Val Kilmer, uh, top of his game, is De Niro's uh, right hand man. John Voight uh, plays uh, like a GTA character who helps De Niro out <laughs> in a, kind of a small role for John Voight. Yeah. Yeah. A pretty young and very hot Ashley Judd. <laughs> oh plays, yes. Uh, <laughs> Val Kilmer's great ass.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: a good one. Yeah. There you go. Um, and then you've got guys like, um, like, uh, Tom Sizemore in, in, uh, supporting roles. You've mm-hmm. got Henry Rollins in an extremely supporting role. <laughs> yes. The cop from Monk, the Allstate guy. I mean, it's loaded with people. And a, a little baby Natalie
2: Portman. Yeah.
0: Isn't, I think Jeremy Piven is in this one too, isn't he? Jeremy like,
2: Piven, yeah, with his mustache. Very, yeah. Yeah, and very I, briefly. Brought his like, mustache oh, yeah, with I wonder.
0: You? And Danny Trejo is in here as that's Trejo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as himself. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they, they really, Dolph they really went for it playing
1: that Dr. Dolph Lundgren.
2: <laughs> Hank Azaria, too. Yeah,
1: Hank oh, Azaria. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable how many... Um, and William Fickner? How do you pronounce his last name?
0: Yeah. Uh, as Gus Van let's, let's go with a yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fitchner. Fickner. I don't know. Something like that.
2: It's stacked. And that's... That's
1: ten deep. That's part of the reason uh, the movie's so good, I think, is just there's all these characters, and they all are given, um, kind of like you said, Frankie, some time to uh, spread their wings, some time mm-hmm. to get the camera. The uh, Michael Mann gives them patience to the extent that um, when the Allstate guy comes in... uh they don't really explain why he's there or even how he fits into the movie he's just Mm -hmm. uh some prisoner who's now he's out on parole and he's starting a job at a at a cafe and he's got his uh either girlfriend or wife or whatever kind of supporting him and it's it really should pull you completely out of the movie and be like what the fuck's going on but it it doesn't because it's it fits in with kind of the themes of the movie and you just kind of buy it. You're kind of, I mean, there's just I don't know. There's, it's hard to describe, but there's so much confidence in the movie. Would you it's, say
2: it, it pays off later? Yeah. That guy coming in, but it really does. Well, yeah. Uh, it was started off as a, a pilot for a TV series and yeah. thinking back to it, it really does play like that with just like the, even the introduction of the all state guy. He's just kind of introduced and they kind of forget about him. Like in a TV show, you know, you bring up a character and then you'd come back to him in maybe another episode. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I mean, the the movie kind of plays that way, and the fact that's three hours kind of it's like okay, let's just take a season of a TV show and just cram it into one movie and Mm -hmm. get rid of all the fluff. That is kind of
1: exactly what it's like.
0: Yeah, and I think that's also what pushes it to I think 170 minutes or something like that. When you're when you're approaching three hours, you know, and you're not a Lord of the Rings movie, you definitely got to have a reason for it to be that long. Mm-hmm. I do have a I do have a question. I was just thinking about you guys talking about All State Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this this movie does a lot, and I think they actually talked about um, how this, this seemingly influenced a lot of actual real life heists and robberies after it came out, like in a bunch of different countries and stuff like that. I can um, believe it because I mean they
1: did do their yeah. homework on it to make it as realistic as possible. To the extent yeah. you probably could emulate <laughs> it successfully.
0: And I know it's been in like, it's been kind of aped in a bunch of, uh, movies and TV shows and even video games. There's like, I think it's been in almost every single, uh, Grand Theft Auto game. It's funny that you, you said that a little bit earlier, where there's been yeah. like a, a mission that is similar to this, especially in, I think, GTA 4. And there was a scene where they're wearing like the hockey masks and stuff and the Vice City game. Mm. Um, but this movie does a lot as far as like, Basic tropes are for like what a heist movie has, like with your driver and your wild card and your mastermind. Yeah, the new guy who like,
1: fucks it up and yeah, yeah,
0: and even the Allstate guy being like the guy that just got out of prison doesn't want to do anything, but then kind of gets this. Well, you know, this is the t- this is the one job that can set you up forever, and like he gets sucked back in and everything. Mm-hmm. And I like I wonder how much this is kind of like. The template movie for all of those tropes and how much like the, of that existed before. And this was just yeah, a, like that's a hard perfect to do. culmination.
1: Yeah, with like old when you go back to an older movie, you're like, well, is this making up the trope or is it following the trope perfectly? Yeah. But situations like that with the Allstate guy, you kind of know mm-hmm. instinctively that he's gonna die. Yeah. Because that's the way that situation works out. Right. Oh, always, yeah. yeah.
2: And uh drop drop a hot trivia on you here. You're talking about how realistic the movie seems and how much homework they did. Apparently mm-hmm. uh the the shootout scene was shown to a group of marine recruits as an example of the proper way to retreat while under fire. So Oh
0: that's interesting. Yeah, yeah that is awesome.
2: That's cool fact fun that? fact for you.
0: Fun facts
1: and so this apparently i don't know uh you know we do we do sometimes do like last week <laughs> last week we did a uh a, a <laughs> comparison of point break and the remake uh and heat itself is a remake of um oh. shit what the fuck's that movie? What? like la oh, la takedown yeah it's a it's a remake of la takedown so it's michael mann's second attempt at the exact same movie mm-hmm. which maybe that's why it's so fucking polished
2: Interesting. You sure about that fact?
1: Yeah, Could, it is uh, a remake of that movie.
2: Uh, that okay. Well, Wiki's Yeah. Wiki says, Man originally wrote and filmed the script as a pilot of a television series, but the television series wasn't picked up, decided to turn the show into a movie. The pilot aired on August 27th, 1989 as a television film entitled LA Takedown. Well, that's a movie. That was the pilot for the television film that became Heat, but he wrote it also? Yep. Yeah. So was it a yeah? It kind of so a
1: he made it. He had a pilot for a TV show. He made it into a movie, L.A. Takedown, and then, and remade, then he remade his remade own it movie? as like a proper movie. Oh, yeah,
2: you can do that
0: if you're Michael Mann. I guess you can do that. <laughs> remake your own movies. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he's been making movies like since the late '70s, but really,
1: uh, yeah, it's I mean, been a long ass time.
0: Yeah, but really didn't kind, kind of writing too. Yeah. Um, I think he's been screenwriting since, like, 78 or something, if I remember correctly. But, like, Last of the Mohicans was kind of his first big hit. And he was, I think, directed, wrote, and produced that one. So,
2: you yeah. know. Only it doesn't hurt, it doesn't hurt to if... have
0: Daniel Day-Lewis in your movie either, so, <laughs> I mean.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you get kind of... I mean, I think he got lucky with the cast, but he got uh, fucking... He got a lot out of them, oh yeah, and uh so one of the questions that we had that obviously this movie brings up um and we talked about characters, um which is something we want, we were trying to focus on in this movie is the characters is uh who's better as an actor, uh Pacino or de Niro uh, we'll, we'll throw that to uh let's throw it to uh ethan the, in- first. the
2: impossible question.
0: Yeah, this is. This uh, is I one. do. I do have a question before I listen to Ethan's answer. Do sure. you mean in just this movie or total? That was my. Uh, that was my in question. In general, but also in this movie. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, yeah. I, just, just as far as just in general, I mean, I'm I'm more familiar with De Niro's work, so I have to be in his corner. Um, but so like what? Uh, I mean, just like Bad Grandpa. Yeah, I'm a big. <laughs> Bad Grandpa Guy. Meet the fuckers. Love uh, Analyze That, not Analyze This. <laughs> he was really better in the sequel. Um But yeah, you know, the casinos, the Goodfellas. Uh, I'm more Dude, familiar with those. I was watching just clips
1: of Casino recently. And, you know, um, this is a sidetrack, but there was a, a guy, Will Meneker, I think, from the Chapo Trap House podcast, posited that Casino is the better movie out of Casino and Goodfellas. And it's... Mm. Uh, it's it's like hey get hot the take. fuck out of here with that take but yeah. um, casino is <laughs> really is really fucking good I think it's it's a harder movie to watch so I think it doesn't you don't reflect on it like as nicely like as Goodfellas but mm-hmm. um just like cruise YouTube for clips of that movie and they're mm-hmm. all gold
0: yeah wow, I think um, as far as like a collection of sequences Casino is tops but I think probably when you remember them just. You know, just nostalgically, you kind of have the idea of the the main protagonist telling the story throughout yeah. Goodfellas. And that kind of lends itself to feeling like it's a better story. So you probably think about that as a better movie, but it might, that might not necessarily be the case. I would think I would have to watch them both like in a weekend to kind of... Mm-hmm. No,
1: we should do that next week. <laughs> casino and Goodfellas. damn. dude. We so we we procrastinated so much on this one because we're like, oh, it's heat. <laughs> we got to do it justice. We we could never get a podcast out if it was Goodfellas and Casino. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. It's it's too dear, too precious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, so you're saying De Niro, Eve, out of those two guys?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's tough because I'm just more familiar with his work. I, a lot of Pacino stuff, like his actual really good best known films I haven't seen, like uh Scent of a Woman, stuff like that. Um but I think while we were talking earlier off the pod, uh Pacino maybe has more range than De Niro. But I think I just I just love what De Niro does and he does it so well that uh I'm you know in his corner. Alright,
1: what about you, Frankie?
0: Um So I've probably seen more of De Niro's work as well, um, Mm -hmm. including a lot of his kind of late in life money money grabs, I guess. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, His retirement fund, (laughs) and I think that they both kind of have, and and you know, this is kind of a blanket statement, but they have a tendency to be just Al Pacino and Robert De Niro as. You know, instead of, you know, necessarily inhabiting characters necessarily. Yeah, kind of uh, at this point, yeah.
1: yeah, What if we limited um, this to just pre-2000, just the 20th century?
0: If it was pre-2000, and I think if you were to look at the success of the movies that they have been in individually, um, I would think Robert De Niro would be better. But he was also in a lot of really great ensemble cast movies. Um, And I'm not saying, you know, taking anything away from like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But again, those are supplemented by great turns from other people. Um, Deer Hunter was also another one that had a pretty good cast. Um, was it uh Cape Fear? Also yeah. pretty good cast, but I mean, those are all yeah. things that De Niro is just fantastic in. And where I see Al Pacino is kind of being more singular in his roles. So like Serpico and Scarface and uh, even in, you know, The Godfather, you know, with that gigantic cast being as great as it is, I think that movie is as good as it is because of Al Pacino. Um, So I would have to say overall, I would have to give it to Al Pacino. And in this movie specifically, I would have to give it to Al Pacino because De Niro's part being as good as it is, is also kind of helped out by his crew being filled with great actors and interesting characters.
2: Yeah, P- Pacino yeah, I, seems like the the answer that a person who was a, a film buff would say. So it makes me it makes <laughs> well, me let want me to walk say in that. with my
1: answer then. So <laughs> my answer's going to be them? Al Pacino. <laughs> no, um, I, I mean this one I've always I think this is a question that kind of it's almost um like I don't know almost like battle lines you know it's almost like pick your team more than pick your actual preference. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that this movie does like you said Frankie suggest pacino um but i think he also benefits from having a better character in the movie and i think specifically de niro's character in this movie to some degree doesn't play with the strengths um like you said he he's got what he's good at and he's got what he's not great at um mm-hmm. i don't think he's very good at doing um like a, like he can't cry on camera no, he no. has hard time like doing like that kind of emotion um and i don't think he's good at um Romance, you know, wooing, or even being, um, he, even being close with someone. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's not, got kind of a.
2: He's not too great at human connection.
1: <laughs> well, he's yeah, and that's why like movies like Raging Bull or Taxi Driver are great for him because he is much more of an internal actor, and he yeah. really is amazing at portraying like a shell around the person. So, uh, I think Pacino's a lot more open, and you feel probably more of a connection to him mm-hmm. um and definitely like i don't know in terms of range which i think maybe that's exaggerated as a as a skill for an actor to have i think pacino's movies i'm thinking about he seems more different in them from uh you know the godfather to uh, glengarry glen ross to yeah something like um really young pacino in a panic and needle park replays a uh a smackhead in in new york um I think he just seems to have a, a little more range, so I, I'd have to give it the edge to him. But I think in this movie specifically, um, he benefits from having, I think, a better role.
2: Yeah, it's because his a uh, his character was on cocaine the whole time, according to him. <laughs> but not he was not on cocaine, <laughs> no. <laughs> which very much <laughs> makes sense when he meets his first
1: uh his first snitch. And he meets him in like the junkyard or whatever and he starts singing mm-hmm. <laughs> all of a sudden and then screaming and yeah it's like yeah all right that's the only answer that makes sense out of this performance
2: <laughs> empathy was yesterday <laughs> today i want fucking answers
1: it's a good quote <laughs> so um the the movie i i'd say in terms of you know it has a great cast but one thing it does that really isn't a guarantee at all is it makes both de niro and pacino very likable and it makes them likable in a way that kind of comes up for me when i'm watching game of thrones and i think the tv show plays into it probably too much but it gives you as a viewer the feeling that you want the characters to like each other you know mm-hmm. what i mean <laughs>
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah you you want when you're watching game of thrones two people who've never met to if they met you know like uh tormund and uh brienne that you want them to kind of like each other in a way even though it you know it's kind of just fan service but Shipping, it's important, as they as the yes. kids call
0: it these days. There
1: you go. In this one, though, it, I mean, it's really important because it's kind of the core of the movie, and mm-hmm. I think it would be really easy for Pacino, who's kind of a burnout, who's terrible at maintaining the family side of his life, and De Niro, who's uh, kind of a sociopath, who intentionally keeps people out of his life. It'd be really easy to make them both seem like assholes who you don't care oh, about, yeah. but they're both really likable.
0: And it's interesting because even even though there's like a, you know, they're technically like the good guy and the bad guy as far as like a a like a broad sense, you know, there is a cop and a robber yeah. essentially like that. Um neither of them are beholden to those like paths. They're kind of both in gray areas, and I think that's kind of what allows them to be a characters that you're rooting for even though they're on opposite sides um, that you empathize with both of them not only because of their jobs but because of like you said their romantic lives or lack thereof that they're each trying in their own ways but at ultimately self-serving and mm-hmm. that, that could be really easy to just go ah this is a movie filled with people that are assholes and I hope mm-hmm. that they all lose I hope that there's like a situation where they you know end up shooting each other at the end of the movie <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, th- I, I totally agree with, the uh, the ability of this movie to make both characters likable.
2: I think that's the actors too. I mean, De Niro's yeah. so often plays like a garbage human, but he's just so charismatic <laughs> that like you kind of root for him still, except for maybe in Cape Fear, but, uh, in most of his gangster movies, I mean, he's a you know murderous piece of shit, but he's always like, he's like, yeah, hey, he's kind of. I don't know he kind of wanted to win. Yeah, he
1: kind of he kind of accidentally reverses the moral of the story into this is really cool, kid.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Look how fucking cool this guy is. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the script deserves some some credit for that too, because you have moments like actually the the part of the movie I I like the least I think is um when they make out um Wayne grow into not just like kind of a a bumbling hothead but uh, an actual like serial killer um which seems like i don't know maybe almost like a um like a a an effect of the time it was in like you know how sometimes movies just kind of contain things that other movies of that era contain they just kind of put them in because it's kind of like the closest thing to your mind when you're writing it so like sometimes i wonder if like you know the silence of the lambs effect kind of made wayne grow, instead of just kind of being a, a general asshole, like, oh, well, we've got to make him really into, like, give him this spooky scene um, with the the prostitute that he's going to murder her. Um, but it...
2: Yeah, what was even the point of
1: that? Well, I think the point of that was twofold. I think, one, it makes you want uh, De Niro to kill him at the end. It, it kind of, you know, makes him into a cartoonish level villain. So even a guy like De Niro, who does kill people uh, and steal for money, you know, you're on his side. And yeah. it also gives uh, Pacino a really great moment where he's he's showing that he's not just Mister um, Professional, you know. This doesn't affect him. He's just doing it and whatever. He he really cares. So he's really bothered when he sees the girl dead. He cu- hugs the mom for like thirty seconds. He's hugging her, and it yeah. you know makes him into much more of a hero.
2: True. Yeah. Then he brings it home and like has that argument with his wife about uh, yeah. like, yeah. doesn't want to bring that shit to her just wants to internalize it it's like well yeah it's kind of it's kind of I guess I have to do it start to agree with him
1: and then on the other side you have um, like De Niro has you know again contrasting him with Wayne Grow in the beginning he's a professional he doesn't want to get, get any blood spilled he's just trying to get this done the right way um which he's not a good guy but you you respect him in kind of the way that um Pacino respects him and part of I think what puts them both over the top is that unlike a lot of movies that can be kind of frustrating to watch this movie's filled with smart people and so Pacino and De Niro are so smart and so good at their jobs that it kind of heightens the cat and mouse game they've got going instead of them like fucking up and stuff just happening because it happens um like Ethan you you watch the uh the cinema sins about Point Break, where they talk hmm. about how, yes, in reality, um, you know, the chief is right to be busting Keanu Reeves and Gary Busey's balls because they're fucking terrible at their job.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause they're... Yeah, and
1: this you get the opposite. You get they're both really good at their job, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, much more entertaining for that reason.
2: Yeah, that's the other weird part, though, <laughs> about the Wayne Grove character, is, like, he's such a fuck-up in a wild card, it does kind of go against the idea of uh, De Niro and his crew being super tight and professional like why would they let this psycho into their group like what's the vetting process there <laughs> like, how do you get through that
1: yeah maybe the, that benefits from happening at the beginning of the movie so you don't think too much about it
0: mm-hmm. well and I, th- I think that since you know he's kind of this you know looming plot point throughout almost the entirety of the movie um, mm-hmm. I think it basically is just there to kind of, you know, be, be that thing that is always seconds away from toppling De Niro's situation. Yeah. You know, whether he's narking on him or, you know, he's going to go out of his way to kill him because he's pissed off about basically, you know, he had all these plans and everything was meticulous and, you know, he's, you know, on point about everything and, you know, he... Even the majority of his crew, he can always count on to be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be. And it, this guy is the one guy who has the ability to kind of just pull all that down around him. And I think not only having that there as this kind of specter, but also almost like a stain on this kind of perfect record, as it were, mm-hmm. for De Niro's character, kind of, you know, does more to make you appreciate how good he is at his job. Because this is the one thing that he's you know always in the back of his mind that he needs to fix, so it kind of like that kind of uh o c d aspect of a character that's yeah. that you know sociopathic it it kind of it kind of fits in there so it kind of does it, as as much as it's weird for that type of person to be in a crew that's you know helmed by de Niro's character, I think it does more to kind of you know illuminate those parts of his character,
2: yeah, yeah, it's a very yeah. good. Uh, yeah there's a good reason for him to be in there for the movie's sake for sure yeah
1: yeah um i mean he is just yeah he um he's kind of the uh not really given a huge job either so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you gotta be kidding me with this i do like um how de niro kind of again and again is shown it kind of does drip in how he is even though he's he is you know it's kind of that fatal flaw thing even though he is like perfect you know check all the boxes kind of guy he also, underneath that, is a very, um, he's about honor, and he's about not letting shit slide, and he's, mm-hmm. you know, so when Van Zant tries to take him out, he's just like, all right, business is over, and, you know, <laughs> I'm coming after you, and this guy is yeah. a fucking banker for, like, drug cartels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, one of, I think, one of the coolest, uh, coolest, uh, parts of the movie is when he says, um, it's like I'm talking to an empty phone. Yeah, so there's a dead man on the other <laughs> end of it. That's a that's an excellent uh, De Niro moment. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, you need De Niro for that one. So Ethan, what's your um? You had a kind of a theory about this movie, just about how it treats um, because a big part of the movie beyond, beyond the relationship with Pacino and De Niro and the relationship between the you know the gangs. Uh, the gang on De Niro's side and the cops on Pacino's side are just the relationships these guys all have with the women in their lives. So, what was yeah. your what was your bit about that?
2: Yeah, I was just noticing that throughout the movie, all the women that were connected to these men, so like Ashley Judd, uh, Al Pacino's wife Edie, and uh, the woman that uh, De Niro picks up, they all are seemingly normal people who just want a normal life. But they're struggling to have these relationships with these like movie characters of the men who are seeking mm-hmm. out a life of an action movie so it was- inter- I always like that that idea of you know the normal people kind of in the background who are kind of almost stuck in this a movie happening around them and just they yeah, the the Ashley Judd just wants you got the baby and wants Valheimer to you know straighten up. And just, you know, stop gambling so they can just, you know, settle down. Edie... Yeah, does
1: she also say that he only gets, like, 8000 bucks for the, the truck heist that they do at the beginning of the movie?
2: I didn't pick up on that. But I thought he... Was he blow it I all think, gambling? I think... Yeah, but
1: I think she says that she's like eight thousand. You can't be taking those kind of risks, and it's like, man, that sucks. I guess I guess the boss keeps the, the lion's share of that money. <laughs> that's yeah. the, that's like the thing. Sixty grand or something. Yeah,
2: that's a very reasonable thing to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: considering that she's talking to a man who's you know robbing barrett bonds and you know precious metals and stuff like that, you know, she's like, I all right, I've kind of signed off on this. I'm in this with you, but eight thousand. Like, got yeah, some yeah. higher margins you know. here. Whereas
1: the guys from like the Fast and the Furious guys would do it for free just because they love the action. <laughs> well,
0: and family,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You gotta you do love family. family. <laughs> that scene is so good, though. I would want to do that if I had the chance to be in that scene. Which minus uh, the murder,
2: which scene? Yeah.
1: <laughs> just like to drive a big semi truck into a into a, an armored truck and then steal money out of it. Mm. That seems fun. You got three minutes, boys. <laughs> yep. That's, that's so I feel bad. like that's probably gonna be the future, is just uh, billionaires like paying a ton of money to be able to do those things. And then they just like kinda of, like pay it off.
2: Yeah. Just yeah, just live out their action dreams.
0: Well that and you know, like, and, you know a... like most dangerous game type situations. <laughs> <laughs> Which <laughs> yeah, is, I mean, in all honesty, is probably already happening.
1: Oh yeah. So what do you think about the ladies and their men, uh, Frankie?
0: Well, I, I definitely think that um, it's an interesting concept to, like, you know, contrast these women who are, you know, just normal mm-hmm. with these larger-than-life characters. Um, I think, uh really, as far as, like, kind of trying to push a character, well, not necessarily, like, this is what it was for, but the whole Natalie Portman uh, situation... With uh, you know the suicide attempt and everything, mm-hmm. um, I th- and just the way that um, that that's all handled and everything, I think that that is an interesting take because that was that's really the only kind of really actual agency that's given to any of the women, um, and it just it's interesting that that's the way that they chose to handle that, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of. None of these women have any real power. Um, and even when they're given opportunity, like, um, how, do, how do you say Val Kilmer's last name? Sihilaris? Sihilaris? Sihilaris,
1: Sihilaris. Something like that. I think it's, but, I think it's Sihilaris.
0: But that whole scene at the end where, you know, his his ex-wife or wife or whatever has the ability to kind of, like, screw him over, but then still ends up just being like, you know, and it's kind of like the same thing with all the rest of them. It's like, they, they love these people even though they put them in terrible positions and she just kind of allows him to, to go free, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the only person who actually kind of fosters any kind of change is, is Natalie Portman's character, and the only way she has the ability to do that is by attempting to take her own life. Um, so it, it is, it's definitely interesting, especially when you kind of think about how, how these situations would play out in real life where you have a person in a relationship who is very clearly like the more demonstrative, like the, the larger personality and everything, and that they tend to not, you know, attract people that have that same thing because then it becomes a competition. So they usually end up with someone who is just trying to have a normal life and falls in love with maybe the wrong person for the wrong reasons. And they're under the impression that something that they can do will bring them back down to earth, make them normal so they can have Mm -hmm. the life that they want, but it just Mm -hmm. never happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good observation because it also, it plays into kind of the, you know, the thesis of the movie comes when uh, De Niro is talking to a, you know, kind of hungover Val Kilmer and he says, you know, remember our mentor or whatever, he said, you got to, have nothing holding you back. You have to be able to have nothing in your life that you can't walk away from in 30 seconds mm-hmm. if the heat's around the corner. And that kind of plays in the movie, obviously, at the very end with uh, De Niro making the choice to walk away from, you know, this girl and the life yes. they were going to have. Mm-hmm. But it also happens, like, all throughout the movie because, I mean, even if they don't acknowledge it, obviously, every time Pacino goes out in the field, he's potentially walking away from everything. You know, he could get killed. Yeah. Any of the guys going on these scores could get killed and so you have the sense that the people in their lives i mean kind of tragically are people who they are willing to walk away from in 30 seconds flat and who you know just by the habit of how they act and what they do are constantly keeping them kind of at um you know arm's length or constantly threatening to sever that connection so it it is kind of a weird uh kind of abusive situation
2: For the for the women, you're saying,
1: yeah, because they, I mean, they kind of can never be um, the focal point, and they can never have that security of just knowing, oh, this guy's coming back. They never know that, Mm -hmm. and you know, in guys like De Niro and his crew, their situation, it's like these guys may specifically live by that rule that if it came down to it, they would just dip and you know never say goodbye.
0: Well, and that that brings up another interesting question because. Like, the idea that these... Especially the De Niro character and the Pacino character are professionals. Um, where Pacino is actually in a profession... You know, that has a mm-hmm. salary and benefits and all stuff like that. So his job that he... You know, for lack of a better attack at it... Actually has to do to get paid and everything like that. Whereas De Niro's character... I'm sure in some way thinks that he has to do this job to be able to live the life that he wants to live as well, but it's not a normal job. It's not like being an an accountant or Mm -hmm. even just another police officer. So it that kind of shows again, that that relationship that these people are having because the, you know, the wife of a police officer, I'm sure every night thinks, well, my husband might not come back tonight just by doing his job. And that's something that they kind of take in and have to live with. And, you know, that's something that you should probably be aware of when you sign up for the the whole getting married situation. But anyone that would decide to attach themselves to someone who is a career criminal, I mean, you know right off the bat. I mean, that's like, I I, I don't know, I think that's probably different than someone that's married to a police officer or something like that. She's like, sure. They could both die at any given time, but there's one person that's doing that because that's their job. And the other person is doing it because that's what they choose to do.
2: Mm -hmm. Hmm, What do you think? Well, it's funny too, that they even, that they even like have any external relationships because the two of them, Pacino and De Niro are so obviously just in love with what they do. -hmm. And like, it's, it's funny though, you know, the whole ending with De Niro. You gotta get your rocks off somehow (laughs) though. (laughs) Yeah. And at the end, De Niro is going to give that all away for like a, the like idyllic retirement, you know, going to a foreign country and just kind of like chilling on the beach. But he, he realizes that's, you know, that's not the life he, he loves. He loves this life of crime, getting scores. And then Wayne Grow, you know, getting the revenge on him is kind of a, you know, a good excuse to get back into it so the fact that they even attempt uh, any relationships outside of that it's like that's that's the extra that's not what they need they need the job cuz that's yeah, what yeah. they're greedy cuz that's what they're good at and i you know i like movies a lot that have characters who are good at their job and obsessed with that job cuz
1: uh, yeah especially even if they the, the job.
2: because i hate my job so I... much that i just want to <laughs> <laughs> like see other people Happy at their jobs. Yeah. Well it's kinda I mean,
1: that's kinda like what casino is. It's just people phenomenally good at their job who fucking mm-hmm. suck and are like idiots at every other aspect of life.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in like normal human interaction.
1: So what um what what's what would you say is the highlight of the film for you, Frankie?
0: Um Well, that that scene that you're talking of like the knocking over the the van and just like how just surgical all that is and how it really just kind of sets everything up tonally for the movie is great. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you can talk about this movie without talking about the conversation between Pacino and De Niro, especially considering that that's, you know, basically the only time, you know, until the very end that they're actually in the same area, um, and when you, you know, when you go into a movie and you're like, wait, they got Pacino and De Niro in this movie. And then you have to wait like, what, almost two hours to see yeah. them actually get in a scene and kind of, and you could tell that they're just jousting, you know, that they're, they're boxing each other, trying to, to dominate that scene. And that is almost uh-huh. like that is where the battle lines would be drawn for that whole idea of choosing a team between Pacino and De Niro as an actor, because I'm sure people that are big De Niro fans would be like, De Niro Slade in that scene. And people that are Pacino fans (laughs) will say, Pacino Slade in that scene. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But that the, just the pure, fantastically directed action of that scene that you were saying that they, they showed to Marines (laughs) on how to retreat while under fire. Yeah. There's just something like the way that, that it's, like the sound design of that whole sequence where it's just like eerily quiet in between these bursts of, of just chaotic sound, And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the way that it's kind of like, you know, it seems like they almost got, got away with it. They almost pulled it off. And then the firefight just ensues and it's just ridiculous. And the way, like the the way that they're filming the characters as they're shooting, but not where they're shooting, um, there's just something about the way that that whole sequence is shot that is just is the part that, you know, like if I'm drifting in this movie, which, you know, is sinful to say about a movie that's good as heat, but, you know, we kind of are thinking about checking Twitter or, you know, like maybe <laughs> running to the bathroom real quick would never, ever happen anytime close to that scene.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, to your point about the sound design, uh, I know that they actually they used you know not live rounds, but they recorded the sound of the gunfire mm-hmm. while shooting it, rather than like you know popping it in and editing to Yeah. kind of give you a, a real that kind of live sound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that probably just throughout the movie that ethic of just make it as real as possible, um, it just pays off so much.
0: Yeah, I think this. I think this was all shot. On location, I don't think they do any yes, soundstage stuff for this. Yeah, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. there were no sound stages.
2: Yeah, it's just, I mean, we're talking about you know the characters are two guys, extreme professionals on top of their game, and then this is you know the director on the top of his game. Like mm-hmm. you really need that pairing. You can't, you know, you can't make a sloppy movie about two guys who are super clean and <laughs> That's a good point and know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, like it, it would totally go against the entire theme of it.
1: So, Ethan, one one thing we brought up last time was that uh, Point Break was a movie with a lot of great lines, even if they were kind of like uh, crude lines. (laughs) Um, I feel like there aren't a huge amount of great lines in this movie, but did you find some
2: good quotes? Yeah, I mean, the the lines that were great in Point Break were just uh, almost like poetic in their absurdity. But it, it worked in <laughs> yeah, the film. Yeah, kind of goofy.
0: Yeah. viaco Dios, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. It doesn't help that it's a uh, Keanu delivering some of them. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, and Gary Busey like just hamming it up.
2: Yeah, and that that movie's like a little bit more bombastic, um, where this one's like we we're saying they're very uh, just like dense and and uh, I guess just saying professionally done. So the 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 lines kind of mirror that. But I grabbed a few that I liked. Uh, the one I definitely like the most after Wayne grows done uh, having sex with a prostitute, uh, she says, you're a real hot dog, a real <laughs> a regular rodeo rider. I don't know why I just play so well. <laughs> that
1: is definitely the most Point Break quote in this movie.
0: That should be, Those are the ones if I'll it write. isn't already, on a T-shirt.
1: I did love, um, you'd mentioned that, again, in Point Break, that they perfectly sum up... Um, Bodhi's character in the line that uh not Laura Linney what the hell is that woman's name yeah the only woman in that movie delivers <laughs> but um she's a modern, uh, modern day
2: savage I think she says yeah but wanderer. this one
1: um Al Pacino's wife tells him you don't live with me you live among the remains of dead people
2: yeah an- and yeah another one I grabbed you've been walking through your life dead that's what she tells him
1: yeah I I think that uh I don't know, just it, it really sums him up in how he's he's kind of almost Doctor Manhattan like. He's only like half there and he's kind of his real life is, is elsewhere. And it's kinda of tragic for him, but
2: Yeah, that's even he kind of touches on that when he's got the coffee scene with De Niro and he's talking about the dream he has of just all the dead people he's come across in his life. And they're so it's mm-hmm. just like every night they don't even say anything to him, he's just among them. That's yeah, That's where his mind's yeah. at.
0: Yeah, I I didn't really. I don't think I ever put those two scenes together because oh, you yeah. just kind of you just get soaked in to this idea that the the two leads are finally talking to each other. That it's almost like uh, like a scene unto itself. Like it's a like a mini movie within a movie. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So I never really even thought about those things being linked. So that's that's really interesting.
2: And uh, even De Niro kind of has a you know a similar line. I think it's when he's talking to. I can't remember when he's talking to. I think it's when he's talking to his lady, um, when he says, "I'm alone. I'm not lonely."
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, because she says you get lonely. And oh yeah, because she's talking like, about him because oh, he travels all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, and he's like, "I'm alone. I'm not lonely. Are you lonely?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm lonely." And uh, then they have sex. <laughs> wonderful. Not for lonely them. anymore. Um. Yeah. Um. I. 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 I feel like it's not like I said it's not a great quote movie, and because I don't know, I think of this movie even though it does have you know really great scenes that do stand out to some degree. It feels to me more kind of like what you're talking about, Frankie, with Goodfellas versus Casino. It feels more like the solid block of granite rather than a collection of smaller nicer things. It feels yeah. like yeah. such a singular piece that. You know, the dialogue is all good, but very little of it really stands out, and maybe that's why, because it's all just very kind of natural. Mm-hmm. The great ass line is a great
0: line. Yeah, I was going to say, that. the one <laughs> yeah. that sticks out is definitely the great ass line. And, that, and that's one of those scenes where, like, that's, you know, that's the Pacino that most people know, where it's just yeah. saying something that would probably be a cool line, but just yelling it, you know, yeah. and just giving it that real Pacino growl, and it's just like, oh... That
1: great ass, yep. <laughs> I think he improved that line, and that's why um, Azaria's reaction is actually just his, <laughs> his actual reaction to it. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, you're right, you did.
1: And the weird, and it, I think it, it maybe shows because it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in a movie. Um, it, you can very much see that he is about to say, 'cause she's got a big ass.' Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he almost says "big," and then he says "great" <laughs> instead. And I, that never happens in movies.
2: Well, yeah, you'd think they would like, it's like do another noticeable. You think they do like another yeah. take or something? Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and you know they might have, but that probably. I think maybe that, like you were saying, with the reaction and everything, that it was just too good to pass up.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hmm.
1: <clears throat> so uh, one thing I wanted to mention, as far as quotes go, is something I noticed and. You know, I don't know if this is confirmed or whatnot, but you know how, like, some movies will reuse quotes really subtly from another movie? Um, Sure. The example I can think of, which isn't, I guess, that subtle, but the first time I saw um, uh, The Phantom Menace, there's that scene, and it's really treated like a really big deal, but it doesn't seem... There's no reason for it to be in the context of the movie, but it's when they're going to do the... uh, the pod race, and Anakin's making his pod racer, and then he he fixes it, and he's like, "Oh, it's working! It's working!" And uh, in the context of the movie, it doesn't make any sense because, like, why would you have already bet if you don't have a working <laughs> pod racer? But um,
0: the Force—that's why. An- yeah, answer exactly. to everything in Star Wars <laughs> is the Force. Yeah,
1: a wizard. <laughs> um. so yeah he says it but then um, I hadn't seen E.T. in a really long time when I saw it again I was like oh that's where they got it because when they build the little Mr. Spell yeah. radar device he says it and he says the exact same way And so it's a very obvious homage to that mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. so this one two lines that stuck out to me Um, one of them from what I've read uh, Christopher Nolan is a huge fan of this movie which you can probably tell in like The Dark Knight with oh, yeah, William Fitchner in the opening bank heist yeah um at the very end when uh de niro is going to shoot wayne grow he says look at me you know because he wants him to look at him hmm. and that reminded me of the line in the dark knight which always stood out to me um when the joker is doing his camcorder video yep and he shouts look at me at the guy in kind of the same way and again not a memorable line but the fact that nolan's such a fan i feel like you know yeah maybe that's where it's from um the other one uh was from the big meeting with uh with uh, de niro and and pacino where pacino says you do what you do and i do what i have to do so in casino there's this line where um de Niro's talking about how him and his wife and how they both cheat on each other and he says, "Well, she does what she uh, does, and I do what I have to do," which, in that context, to me is very funny because it's like, like mm. he has to get like blowjobs from the waitresses at his <laughs> hotels. <laughs> <laughs> and so that that's why that always stuck out to me. So I heard it here. I'm like, oh, maybe that you know maybe that was another reuse.
2: Hmm. Could be. Yeah. Good connections there.
1: Yeah. So we're gonna find out. That could be some all new trivia. We could add it to yeah. the IMDb okay. trivia board. It'll be hard to find, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
2: it's very so, uh, very niche Hey that one innocuous line you had in the movie Was that inspired by the <laughs> movie It's also an innocuous line
1: Yeah if I, fi- if I ever talk to uh, Martin Scorsese I'll ask him that
2: Okay yeah and ask Chris Nolan too Yeah
1: <laughs> I'll definitely Ask Chris Nolan then um, So what would you guys say is uh, The companion piece If you had to say a movie you'd want to watch as a, as a a Before you watch Heat Or right after you watch Heat What would you put in there
0: um oh. well I think so there's a couple ways you could go with this. you could go with a a like cat and mouse type situation where oh yeah you know, that's that's a good way to do it. You could go with a heist um or any kind of basic you know like yeah bank robbery robber movie, movie. um yeah, or you know you could always just do you something do both and just go with a public enemy. Public, <laughs> public, not, enemies not public, enemy, public enemies would um, be good public enemies but uh, public well public you know if you want to watch the public enemy biopic documentary movie that would have be, be good too um, there you go uh so i think i think public enemies would be a little bit too on the nose considering that's another michael mann one but yeah, as far as companions are good however i think the score is actually what I would Ooh. Ah. Uh, Was that uh
1: Ed Norton and Robert? C. Ed Norton
0: and, score, and old score, Bobby score. old Bobby Money. You know and, the problem with um, that movie?
2: There is
1: no huh? problem. The problem with that movie is it was advertised as having a, a twist that you'll never see coming. And so uh oh, yeah, I watched the whole movie basically waiting for one. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, then you then you see it coming. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah it's uh but uh, very very good uh very good Angela Bassett in that movie. Um not so good Marlon Brando. Um, (laughs) but he was past his peak. Yes, but I think that was his last film. So, you know, but yeah, I think that that one's pretty good. Um, It also has that kind of, you know, one... One last score, one final score type score, thing. Score, score. You know, I'm mm. getting too old for this shit, one last job. <laughs> score, score, score,
1: someone's got a score.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I think it, it probably should have been last score, but I think that would have been, again, a little bit too on the nose. Mm. So, yeah. But yeah, I would I would go with the score as a companion piece to this. Dude,
2: directed by, Ooh, Frank, what about you, Ethan? directed by Frank Oz. Are you aware of that? Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Um, I don't know if it's a good answer, but I found myself thinking of The Dark Knight a lot for the reasons we brought up mm, terrible this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, William Thickner. <laughs> really, uh... <laughs> yeah, the only other robbed. movie I've ever seen him in. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, just the, friends the, the are bank dead. heist. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Okay. Um, I would go with, uh, I think, early on I was thinking Ronan because it's got another De Niro, um, kind of 90s chase oh. movie. Or not chase, but, you know, kind of heist. But um, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to go with is... Uh, the Fugitive, because, um, mm. you know, that opening scene with Pacino really uh, just, you know, laying it all out as the cop is so similar to Tommy Lee Jones, um, you know, sacking up as the marshal in that movie. And it's also mm. got that kind of, you know, both guys are opposed to each other, but you like them both. But in that movie, they get to be friends at the end. So,
2: hmm. yeah, that's
1: a good it's, one. It's mm. more for babies.
0: <laughs> Does I'm trying to remember. Does does Sean Bean die in Ronin?
1: He that's the one movie that he doesn't die in, Whoa. and it's okay. at a it. You would think he will because the scene is like he's a uh, they're they're like going to make a handoff or something with some guys they don't really trust, and he's like, guys, yeah. come on into the dark tunnel, come on, like, let's do this. <laughs> it's like he starts walking in, and it's like, well, that's you know that's the that's Sean the Bean quota. Uh, Shawnee yeah. Bean. Oh, great movie with Sean Bean in it.
2: Yeah, a good Good one. Sean Bean. Mm-hmm. Alright, so
1: um who's the hardest man of this movie since Sean Bean isn't in here to be the automatic choice?
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Um I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Val Kilmer because I don't think <laughs> yeah. we talked about him enough in this movie. For sure. And I just still I like he is I'm telling you, Pete Kilmer. Just yeah. really, really great. Um I think it's kind of his character might be a little underserved, but considering that he's in a movie with De Niro and Pacino and He is a fucking a,
1: badass in this movie, though. He's so
0: Just so so awesome. You know, I think, you know, it might actually be better that he has a little less screen time because it kind of allows you to create more of a story for him in your own mind, just being like, just so engrossed in his badassness. Ethan, am I
1: right, trivia wise, that him uh, reloading in the long bank high scene was shown to like military to show, like, (laughs) I don't know. These these all feel like fake quotes. Like, it was so good they showed it to me, you know. But that's the, whatever, that's the trivia anyway, that he did it like so perfectly that it was like textbook.
2: He did film some of his sequences concurrently with Batman Forever. Maybe that's what you're thinking of.
0: Oh, man.
1: Wow, that's even more impressive then. <laughs> I.
0: Maybe that's why I he's did not, not in this, oh, well, I completely forgot about that. So, not only was this Pete Kilmer, but it was also... Literally the beginning of his fall, so that's great. That you know, it literally was the peak. Yeah, Yeah. and
1: also speaking of the best Batman movies ever made, uh, Mm -hmm. The Dark Knight and and Batman Forever, I can't choose between them.
0: What do you think? This is one Um, of those times where, like, it's the sincerity in your voice is is difficult to extract from the facetiousness um, because. You know, do I have that there,
1: problem? Is that my thing?
0: Yes, that You're is being your thing. prestigious uh, right I, now. I, I, <laughs> even even in saying that itself, You're still doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, man, yeah.
1: So I'll do I'll do hardest man. Um, Got to go with Al Pacino because uh, his wife cucks him and he does not even fucking care, <laughs> and he immediately turns the tables on the guy who showed up. Ralph fuck his wife. <laughs> fucking Ralph who uh even it's gets he... his wife to admit that she debased herself by <laughs> having sex with him. <laughs> just to get his attention and he doesn't even give it. Just to get closure. So
2: that's as hard as shit. And then all he wants is his television. <laughs> yeah. You do not get Which to watch my fucking television set.
1: <laughs> he immediately just kicks out of his car at the next stoplight anyway.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good choice. I mean yeah, Pacino and De Niro are. are, are oh, he also the, ha- yeah. he
1: also throws Henry Rollins through a plate glass window. Yeah, which, which is, is the hi- when we're talking about when we're talking about highlights of films, that is a highlight of the film for me. And
2: then, <laughs> right before that, the highlight is uh, the very obvious stunt double who runs in and tackles them in the beginning when they first enter. <laughs> which
0: which might still be. The name of the podcast that I want to start because obvious stunt double is oh. just great. Just, I, I think that's I think it's really clever, and I shouldn't be putting it out there into the world for all the people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, to it. be stolen like that. Well,
1: I I told you what we were gonna do this because everyone blanched at Hard Men to please. I was gonna call <laughs> it um, <Damn>. undercranked. Undercranked. <laughs> 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 I still want to get people somehow thinking of male genitalia when you think of uh. the podcast. You know, um, I, I I don't know if there's um, already a podcast about that or called that.
0: I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I I balked the first time I uh, was going to tell someone about the name of the website because. <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it's great, but you know, sometimes you're like, oh, you know, I did a podcast or oh, I wrote an article or whatever. Like, oh, where where can I see it? It's like,
2: mm.
1: work friend. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, here's the thing about that. Uh, I wrote it in the deep web. And you know, have to. You can only uh, load it through a Linux-based server that you have to get off of a flash drive from a guy named Ramon. Um, so yeah, you, you're not gonna find it. You're not gonna find it. But now it's like it's a uh, it's hard men to please, and they're like oh, that's really funny. And I'm like oh, thank God. <laughs> All right. So from from that point on, I'm just like yeah, I write for hard men to please. Say something about it.
2: Yeah. Oh, there you go. It's Saving a it it's a movie and uh, gay porno website <laughs> yeah everything you want
1: t- did you t- do t- hardest t- man? Eve?
2: um hardest man i'm gonna have to go with hank azaria <laughs>
0: what he's such hank a azaria. soft cock in I this thought, movie <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna go with tone Lok. tone yeah i th-
1: thought you were gonna go with uh, danny trejo
2: danny trejo gets killed though that's not hard to at yeah, all. he
1: takes a fucking beating yeah that's oh. not hard yeah how about uh, how about Allstate guy for uh, living everyone's dream and just shoving his boss onto the ground as he quits?
2: Yeah, that's true. That's a good. That's a good hard moment for sure. But then he also gets killed, so disqualified. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um. So Ethan, we got some corrections from last week.
2: Yeah, from last week. Um, we were talking about <laughs> Point Break 2015. Uh we were confused as to who Erickson Core is. He was the director of the Point Break remake. And uh from our I don't think we were confused about
1: who he was. I was
2: very confused. Um but he's oh. a cinematographer. <laughs> he was a cinematographer for Fast the Royal and Furious. Lee. That was a oh. Yeah. That was a well, fan we he correction. was a
1: cinematographer. We didn't make that connection though. And that's a good connection to make since that's kind of the first Point Break remake. So yeah.
0: That was he was a cinematographer for the first Fast and the Furious.
1: Yeah, yeah, not the good ones.
0: So he was the one that was that A thought it was a good idea, and B was responsible for when they decided to, with very fantastic CG, show how Nos goes to the engine <laughs> yeah. of a car.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's the Fight Club effect. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You get you get caught in the in the gravity of the big movies around you, and you just yeah. you, you you do it for no other reason than someone else has done it.
0: Hmm. It's like, ooh, we could, we could totally do that, and it'll look really cool. False. Yeah,
1: it'll look very cool in about two years once the <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the graphics we're using look incredibly <laughs> outdated. Uh,
2: well, other ones we got here, um, I guess at some point we were talking about The Thomas Crown Affair, and it indeed starred Steve McQueen. I guess we were confused about that.
1: Yeah, because that was the uh, the screenwriter whose name I forget now. The Equilibrium guy also wrote the Thomas Crown Affair. The, uh, the <sighs> Equilibrium.
0: Which... That hmm, that might be one of the ones that I do for that second run article series because. I not don't, I don't think that one gets enough love.
1: Yeah, I'm talking about Sean Bean, Christian Bale. Come on, Boom. can't beat that. Take Diggs. <laughs> okay, what else we got? We got a lot on this one.
2: We yeah, we did. Um... You had brought up Mark Kermode's.
1: No, no, no! You're skipping this one. You fucked up, and you mentioned Ray Winston's character as undercover in The Departed. He was not undercover in that movie.
2: Uh, I don't remember doing that. He was straight up Irish mob.
1: (laughs) I was definitely. I was
2: intentionally skipping that one. (laughs) Get off my notes. (laughs) Uh, You brought up Mark Kermode. Am I saying his name right?
1: Yeah, Mark Kermode.
2: His commode is the commode rules. For a good movie? Yeah, I guess I'll go... You go through it.
1: Yeah, I'll go through it. So he he made his rules for how you could not... Like a can't miss in terms of making your money back on the movie. And so they were basically for a blockbuster. You're going to do a blockbuster. Follow these rules. You will. You might, it might not make a ton of money, but it will not bomb. So the rules were... I had forgotten them at the time, but they have an A-list star in them. Uh, that must have a newsworthy budget. Like... Like, the entertainment mags will just write about how big the budget is. A huge budget. It must... uh, This one's a little more uh, subjective. It must be uh, spectacular. So, the budget has to be big effects, big set pieces. Um, And the last one, which I thought was really interesting, is it must not be a comedy. So, when, like, the Lone Ranger tanked, he brought that up as saying, you know, at the end of the day, the movie is a comedy. And when comedy doesn't work, none of it works. Whereas, if it's just a straight action movie... Like you know, Fast and the Furious Eight. You know, basically yep. a guaranteed moneymaker because you've got the Rock in there. You've um, got um, I don't know how big the budget is for that actually. It was um, pretty big. You know, very spectacular, and it's you know it's not a comedy. It's okay. Close, well, but it's
0: not. It's kind what about of, kind of the Wall? Comedy. That Matt Damon movie from earlier this year.
1: The Wall did that actually come out already?
0: <laughs> that came out. That had all of those things you just said, and it I think didn't even make a third of its budget or something like that
1: I wouldn't be but surprised because I didn't even know what it actually ever came out
0: the the two biggest um you know financially and I guess critically as well bombs are that one this year are that one and um
2: John Carter
0: John uh, Carter uh no this year um, oh this year the the one that um old Benny Affleck did where he was like a mobster in Tampa.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. What? Yeah, it was like, good night, yeah. the night of something. Good night, people. Yeah, long hard, this year? long, hard long, night,
0: man. Long, hard night or something like that. You know, something in that yeah, range. right up our uh, alley. Which, again, goes <laughs> to show that I don't, it, it wasn't really spectacular that I can't even remember the name. Yeah, these rules suck, Jared. Um
2: Well,
1: I, hey, okay, I'm not, these aren't my rules. I think we should tweet at this guy about the wall because, I don't know, I mean, was the budget newsworthy large?
0: I think that it was a, it was a a chinese backed movie because yes. you know of it being so I would assume that they spared no expense and uh because of that it well, was well let's probably, hit them up, yeah tweet
2: them' from the main account, maybe that's <laughs> the uh maybe that's the undoing though if it's uh foreign money as opposed to American money,
0: oh mm. so it has to be we have to update
1: the list, yeah. dollar reduce. Also,
2: if mm, if you we'll cast an American into a, a movie full of Chinese people, maybe that's the other rule. You know, the weirdest thing about, about that, that
1: movie, The Wall, is the, the posters of it, um, Matt Damon looks like Leo DiCaprio from the poster of The Departed. Like, I thought DiCaprio <laughs> was in that movie for a while, and I <laughs> never thought they really looked that much alike.
0: Hmm. Not until Weird.
1: now. Yeah, I guess not. Oh, well. Fucking the wall. Well, we should do that movie soon, huh? <laughs> Can't wait. Do that one versus side by side with Pink Floyd's The Wall.
0: Oh, see if they see if they match up. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> bet they do. Do we have any <laughs> fuck you's, Eth? Uh, I think we wanted to say fuck you to Erickson Core for making a terrible Point Break remake. <laughs> so we're gonna say that fuck you, Erickson Core. Yeah, I mean, I go back I to what mean, you're good at, like Daredevil cinematography. Did he do the Daredevil cinematography? Yeah, the movie
1: that wasn't good. <laughs> no. I would say he did a much better move uh, job at the at the cinematography for Point Break than he did for Daredevil.
0: Daredevil looked we're, terrible. We're, that was we're talking about movie. the movie, right?
2: Yeah, the movie 2000. Trey. Okay. Yeah. 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 The Point Break. Like, woof, the Point yeah. Break cinematography was not the problem. In the movie
1: no i would say that was kurt wimmer's uh fuck up
2: yeah from that terrible well, script listen to the pod if you want to know the the problems with that movie they were numerous yeah listen to that one that folks. i don't
0: listen to anything that i'm not on i, I just oh, refuse damn it. we put like you to were on that it. one actually no i wasn't and see that's that's the reason that it was not noteworthy because i didn't hear my own voice talking about Bodie. <laughs> oh
2: those the those mm. the four roads rest, rest in
0: peace Rest in peace. The four rules
2: of a good hard man podcast. One, Frankie has to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie has uh, to be
1: on. Kuji has to be on. They've never been on the same one, have they?
0: No, only, no, we haven't.
2: We've only done the one four man pod. That was with Anthony and yeah, and yeah,
0: and
1: the, hard, uh, which we might stuff. have to do that again. That might have to be a holiday tradition since they're apparently making another Star Wars movie. Apparently, I hadn't <laughs> heard. I didn't. He- I didn't hear that. You... coming out of the blue.
0: Listen, you, you can't get me started because then I'll start talking about the trailer at the end of what is supposed to be a podcast about heat. Yeah, let's All right, to, uh, guys. So wrap, we need up. To, uh, let's wrap right. this already, up, You already then. talked about the Phantom Menace in this, and I brought that up. That somehow <laughs> every single, and I didn't even bring it up this time, but every single no. podcast that I have been on about whatever, we have always talked about the Phantom it's just Menace. your influence. It'll be a running gag. And it comes <laughs> up naturally. It's not even like we're trying.
1: The movie makes me gag, am I right, fellas?
0: <laughs> oh, nailed it.
1: So, uh, listener, if you've got a difference of opinion on the Pacino versus De Niro question, fuck or you. the companion piece, <laughs> or... No, not fuck you, we like Keep this. it to Wait, yourself. I thought
0: we were doing the fuck yous.
1: <laughs> no, we're done with the fuck yous, we're wrapping oh, okay, it up now. okay, got it, sorry, sorry, sorry. Or the hardest man, anything you got a difference of opinion on, why don't you uh, tweet that to us, at Hardman to please, or uh mail it to us at hardman to please at gmail.com Uh you can subscribe and rate on iTunes and Stitcher. And that's all we got. See us next week, maybe. We're on a two week schedule now, I believe. So see us next, next time. two weeks. Uh where we next time when we do Fast and Furious Clatters? 4 I mean eight. same hard
0: time, same hard place. Ah. Uh,
2: right
1: you in the like hard that? place. Well, Ethan, uh Frankie said he's not even going to do uh fate of the furious on this podcast so wait uh,
0: what
1: did you say you were not you were going to start that off with guardians instead
0: oh yeah on, on my, my individual podcast yeah. which uh I'm going to did I tell you what I'm going to call it? coming
1: soon you, it going to be stunt double or something
0: no no it's going to be geek strum uh? geek you remember how strum. I had that really cool yeah 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 uh, uh, that's my blog spot from whatever I remember that what is the ago? strum
1: is that like a nordic thing
0: I think it's either Nordic or German or something. It, it just sounds cool.
1: Okay. Does it mean something?
0: Uh, the, the, the power of the mighty geeks.
1: Okay. That's what Strum means is power of? I don't know, man. Come on. Okay. Dude. I'm the thing. we were going to do this. a deep dive into the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the
0: fuck is Google? Who knows?
1: Oh, well, Google is, uh, No, nope. see, this is the point where
0: you, where you just don't, you say, yeah, no one knows what Google means.
2: <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah. Smart Maybe people like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smart people do like it.
0: But so, yeah, gonna, yeah gonna, we're going to do another Guardians movie there. next time.
1: Maybe we'll do... We won't do Fate of the Furious, but we do Collateral. We can't have Frankie on twice in a row. We can't do Collateral <laughs> without Frankie.
0: What are? Uh, I mean, aren't you trying to, you know, actually get people to listen to this thing? Hey, hey. Cool.
1: Nailed well, it. Well, it
0: hasn't worked so Shots. far. <laughs> oh, shit. <Yikes. laughs> I shouldn't have, shouldn't have put myself out on a limb like that.
1: All right. We love you, listener. Adios.
0: Bye. Viago deus. <laughs> <laughs>